So you have a... Uh, what was the example of Mashpian Makabal? Teacher and student. It's an example. Now, concerning Nefesh and Guf, Nefesh and Guf, uh, so on, so there's also Mashpian Makabal. Okay? Who's the Mashpia? The Nefesh. There's a Mashpia. The Guf is the Makabal. It receives. The Nefesh gives. What does it give? Life. Life. It gives life. And the Guf, the body receives. This is the Mashpian Makabal. Isn't it also, it might be just thinking too deeply at this point, but it could also be the reverse in a way. It's hard to imagine how that could be. But like how, the, how the body, well, in and of itself, I suppose, but I mean, in the way of like being in the world, the, 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 the body is giving life to the soul, like a place for it to be. Well... The soul, in order to do to do its purpose, in a sense, in that way of its, it's giving, it's it's teaching it, or it's it's providing a. Well, I don't know. Could be, but uh, the soul before we were born, the soul was very comfortable. It wasn't lost. Mm -hmm. It it was it it was in its place. It was enjoying itself. The soul is spiritual, so it was in a spiritual world. Doing what? What's the soul doing before we were born? What's our nefesh doing? Basking, basking in the shechina. Right, right, enjoying the shechina, right, right. Then it comes down here, it gets lost. It feels lost. It's looking for a GPS, like, where, 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 what do I do over here? Where do I turn? So the, the, the soul doesn't need to go for itself. Mm-hmm. It's true there's a godly mission, mm-hmm. And for that mission take place, it has to go to a goof, right? But uh, it's not the natural place for the nefesh to be, to be in a goof. So the nefesh gives life to the goof, not the reverse. The goof doesn't give life to the nefesh. The goof is a necessity for the purpose of Hashem giving the Hashem in this world, yeah. right? But, but it's the nefesh that gives life to the goof, not the reverse. Now, even though I'm telling you not the reverse, but there's more to talk about that. There's more to talk about. Maybe we will get to this later on. But, but the, 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 the system that Hashem made, the guf and nef, the nefesh gives life. The nefesh is the mashpia. The nefesh gives. The guf receives. The nefesh gives life. And the guf receives. Now, in this system of nefesh being mashpia and the guf receiving, let's compare that for a second to teacher and student. Okay, teacher and student. Teacher is the mashpia, student is the makabal, the nefesh is the mashpia, the guf is the makabal. Let's compare these two, these two systems. The, the, the system in this way, okay. Uh, which do you think is more amazing? Which Say system? Between the teacher and the student? Teacher, student, or the- nefesh and guf? Nefesh and Gulf. Why do you think it's more amazing? You just said yesterday the teacher is just a student who's been a student long enough. <laughs> it seems like such a polar contrast. And Nefesh is just from Ghana Aiden versus the Goof, which is like so much. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, good. But, but going a little bit further, yesterday we mentioned that there's two types of teacher and student. Mm-hmm. In Hasidic terminology, we usually use the words Rav and Talmud. Teacher and student, Rav and Talmud. There's two types. One is like you, know, you were saying, you know, where they're more or less the same. 
But then you have uh, the real Rav and Talmud, where the Rav and Talmud are very distant from each other. They're not the same. But even in such a case, even when the Rav and Talmud are very distant, Rav is a genius, he thinks in a whole different way, the student is, is not even close. Even in such a Rav and Talmud, a real Rav and Talmud, but if you compare this Rav and Talmud to Nefesh and Gulf, if you think about it, you'll see that Nefesh and Gulf is, is much more amazing than, than a Rav and Talmud, than a teaching student. And the reason it's more amazing is because the distance between the Mashpi and Mekabal of Nefesh and Gulf is by far a greater distance than Rav and Talmud. Even a real Rav and Talmud, which are very far away, but this is more distant. Well, let's just explore this a little bit more. Well, what's your question? Your question? I was just kind of thinking, thinking into it. Like, um, it's, it's interesting. Like, if you think about a student and a teacher, <laughs> the teacher has to work, in a sense, and, and really contract what he's saying in order for the student to understand it. There's also like the part of the student trying to understand it. So I'm thinking in relation to the, the goof and the, and the nefesh. Like our nefesh seems to constantly want to teach us something, but we have to use our goof in a way, you know, working on it, also taking care of it, in order to, to listen in to the messages. Well, uh, there is such a concept, which maybe we'll talk about soon, not the way you're saying it, but there right. is such a concept. Because well, like if, if you're like not taking care of your body as well, like you're not sleeping, etc., you're not going to be able to learn from your nefesh because it's constantly. Well, again, it's not exactly what you're saying, but the, the the principle is important, which we'll soon get to. Okay, now let's go back to Rav and Talmud, where where we mentioned there's two types of Rav and Talmud, and there's one where the Rav and Talmud are close. To each other, then you have a Ram and Talmud which are far away. Now, when you say Ram and Talmud are far <coughs> away, like how far? There could be different distances. How far? Like you could have very far. Now, in uh, in Hasidic terminology, if you want to say like very extremely far, uh, what are the words that are used for that? If it's very far. You can erase all of this. Huh? Yeah, it's stuck. Yeah. Uh, Shalom Bada for the Yeshiva. That's nice. Which shop? Uh, yeah, we have a camera. Could anyone read this? Yeah. This word is be'erech, be'erech. This is be'enarech. Translation, be'erech means relative. Two things which are relative to each other. They're measurable. How far, how close. Be'enarech means 
you can't measure that they're, they're completely far away from each other. There's no relationship. Be'erich means when two things are related to each other. Be'erich means no, they're not related. Is, so, is there a yud before that? Is yud over here? No, 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 but next to the base? No, no, this, oh. this, this, this here was not erased. Okay, so you have Be'erich and Be'erich. Rav and Talmud. A real Rav and Talmud are Be'ein Aroich. Not a real Talmud, teacher and student, they're usually Be'erich. Okay? Now, how do you figure out if it's Be'erich or Be'ein Aroich? What's the measurement? What's the approach Could to figure out if it's Be'erich or Be'ein Aroich? How do you tell? Couldn't it also depend on the, I guess, time of which the student is learning? It depends a lot of things, yeah. right. But how do you tell? There's a way to measure it. See the definitions again. means relative to each other, relating to each other. Two things relate to each other. Bein means there's no relationship. Bein It's like Bein would be infinitely distant. Berich means relative distance, but you know, you can measure it. Okay, so, so there's a way to figure out if it's Berich or Beinach. So let, let's use the formula of numbers. Okay, numbers. By numbers, you also have Berich and Beinach. Okay, so when you have a billion and one, is it Berich? Yeah. It's Berich. Okay, if you have infinite and a billion, that's Beinalach. Okay. Now, what's the formula to figure out if something is Berich or Beinalach? If the um, if the thing it's being related to is finite or infinite. Well, that's, the, that's what we just said, right? But that's true. But the formula, how do you figure it out? How do you think about it? So the formula is that when you have uh, when you have a, a, a one number and another number, and when I say numbers, I don't care if it's infinite or finite. Okay, when you have two numbers, you always ask yourself: Is the smaller number a fraction of the bigger number? That's what you ask yourself: Is it a fraction? So when you use the words one and a billion. So, is one a fraction of a billion? Yeah, it's one billion, right? But when you have a billion and infinite, is a billion a fraction of infinite? No, it's not a fraction. So you know it's bein alaych. You know they're infinitely distant. Another way of saying it, same thing, but saying with different words, when you have one and a billion, if you, if you keep on adding to the ones, you get to a billion ones, you'll reach, you could reach a billion. For one, you could, it's reachable, you could reach a billion. But from a billion, you won't reach infinite. You'll have another billion, you're not gonna reach infinite. You add another number, another number, you're not gonna reach it. So be'erech means there's a relationship, it's a fraction, it's part of it, it's reachable. Be'erech means it's not a fraction, it's not reachable, it's be'erech. Well, if you, I wanted to ask, if you have two sort of infinite type of things, are those measurable to each other? 
Well, that's a good question. There are different levels of infinite, right? And sometimes the smaller infinite will not get you to the higher infinite, so they're infinite from each other. Right. Okay, so uh, if this is the formula we use, now we're going to apply this to Rav and Talmud. Okay? If you want to know Rav and Talmud, are they Be'elech or Be'enelech? How do you figure that out? So this is what you ask yourself. This Talmud, this student, can there? Can, what's going to be a question? Can there? Get there? It doesn't seem like there even can be an Be'en era. Oh, 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 right, that's what we're going to talk about, okay? So you ask yourself, could the student reach the level of the teacher, yeah. right? And if the answer is yes, which is usually the case, mm -hmm. right, just give him a couple more years, mm -hmm. right? So that tells you it's Be'er or Chobein That's Be'er. The Rav is a tzaddik and the guy just a normal person. Oh, 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 right. If, if, the, if the teacher is, a, is an extraordinary genius, but they still, I mean, the, the distance, the distance would be larger, but they, you know, we can't say it's be'ein erech. There's always that possibility as opposed to... Okay, so again, so how do you measure it? The measurement is, the, the, could the, the student... of the student, like the... No, 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 no. The measurement, is it possible for the, for the student to reach the level of the teacher? That's your question, right? So usually, nowadays, the answer would be yes. But sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the distance between Ram and Talmud is such a distance where the student will never reach, he can never reach the level of the, of the teacher. Now, just to take an example of what we're talking about. You know, when, when you learn Gemara, okay, there's thousands of pages in the Gemara, a lot of pages. Each page of Gemara has many commentaries. Many commentaries. On each passage of the Gemara, you have thousands of commentaries. Volumes. On each page of the Gemara, there's so many commentaries. In the back of the Gemara and other books. Okay, now, uh, let's imagine an average student, an average student will take one page of the Gemara and spend a year learning one page. Two years learning one page, but not wasting time. Every day learning, learning. Now, you would imagine after spending a year or two years learning one page, this student, average student, will have uh, really advanced and will understand this in a deep way. Is, is, that, is that a logical assumption? Right, logical assumption. Now, now if you go to compare the conclusions of this student after two years of in-depth studying, you compare it to some of the other commentaries on the same page. Now, those commentaries on the same page, they did not spend two years on that page because they wrote on all pages, or many pages, okay? I don't know how much time they spent. Maybe they spent two hours, I don't know, right? Three hours, right? They spent two, three hours or less or more, right? They wrote their commentary next. They went to the next page. But here you have a student spending two years on one page. Do you think that the, the depth, the grasp, the understanding of this page will be comparable to the different commentaries on this page? So, so the answer would probably be, yeah, for some of the commentaries, yes. You know, 
you know, for some of the commentaries it might be comparable, right? Remember, after two years of really studying, okay? But then there are some commentaries where you could spend a hundred years and you would never get even close. One of the examples of, of such a genius was, was someone in, uh, called the Rogach of Agon. The Rogach, you ever heard of the Rogach of Agon? Yeah. Can you hear of Huh? Can you His name was Yosef Rosen. He passed away around 1933, about roughly. So he was known as a genius of geniuses. You know, and they have, they have books, they have his writings. This is like, you know, a hundred years after they printed them. You know, even now, a hundred years later, people are struggling to figure him out. It's like, he, he was remarked, the Rebbe and the Fabian would very often quote him and analyze, discuss it. Like, he, he was a genius of geniuses. He was like an extraordinary genius. And his way of thinking, his way of learning was, was such a way but you could spend a hundred years on the same page, you would never get close to the way he learned it. Because he had a whole different way of thinking. An extraordinary deep way of thinking where it's not the av- people don't think that way. You know, there's people are spending years to figuring him out. And, and some of the Rebbe Sikhs, the Rebbe explains his genius. Some of the Rebbe argues in him also, but the Rebbe gets involved explaining him. And there are other books that explain him, you know, but, but this is a whole different way of thinking. So that's an example of Be'ein Aleich. Like there's no, you can't compare the two. So there are some commentaries where you could say, well, yeah, if you spent uh, two years, three years, maybe you'll get something close, maybe. That's Be'erich. But then you have a certain Ramatan which are Be'ein Aleich. You know, you could spend your whole life, you won't understand it. Uh, I, I had a teacher uh, known as Rabiel Khan. You heard of Biel Khan? He just passed away. Uh, he was like a, 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 an extraordinary teacher of Chassidus. He was the Rebbe's Chayzo. You know what Chayzo means? He would repeat. Sit like, for a break and, and yeah. he would hear the, the Sikhs and then he would have to write it down. Right, 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 right. He was able to memorize and understand the Rebbe's Sikhs in an extraordinary mind. So uh, he taught us Chassidus. You know, he was teaching Chassidus for years. The way he explained Chassidus, you couldn't, you would never be able to understand even if you went a hundred years. It's just you wouldn't be able to. You know, other teachers that explain, maybe you, maybe you'll be able to understand it on your own if you spend enough time. But the way Rabiel explained to my mom, you, you could never understand it on your own that way, even if you spend a hundred years. You know, the, so, so there is a concept of Rav and Talmud which are vain alaych; they're infinitely distant. And how do you measure it? You measure it? Could the student ever reach the, 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 the teacher? Does it have to do with the, the teacher and the student or the, the knowledge of which they're passing over? Because in that case, the student can, you could learn the Hasidus just in a, your own unique way of understanding the knowledge. Which one understanding? So the level of understanding. So in that way, you... But in that, but in, in, in a way, that could be said about everyone. We'd all about any student and teacher because the way you're going to grasp the knowledge will be unique to somebody else. But that's what makes a good teacher as, a, as opposed to somebody who's just like a complete genius who the students are just left and awestruck because it's like, yeah, he's a genius, but the, it's, it's, 
the, the issue we're dealing with is, is more uh, just general just, and basic. You know, let's say there's a teacher that gives a test. Yeah. Okay, there'll be different marks. Okay. Now, the teacher will usually write the test to accommodate the students. He's not going to give a test on his level, he's going to give a test on the level of the students. Now, imagine the teacher writes a test on his level. So you can imagine all the students will fail. No one's going to pass it. But then you, the teacher leaves the test paper by the students and he says, I'm going to get back to you in 10 years from now. I want you to answer these questions. I'll get back to you 20 years. Okay, as you advance, okay? So you get back 20 years later and some of them will, will get 100. Some won't. Okay, that shows that it's be'erich. But then you have some teachers, which are be'erich, they'll give you the same test paper, you know, in their level, and they say, okay, I'll get back to you 20 years. 20 years you get back, and <laughs> they all failed. Why? It's Bein Aleich. Now, now, after saying Bein Aleich, then I have to get to the next part. What's the difference between a good teacher and a better teacher? So the difference between a good teacher and a better teacher is not uh, the depth of understanding. It's not that the better teacher understands the material better and the good teacher doesn't really understand it. No, it could be the good teacher understands it even better than the better teacher. Okay, The talent of a teacher... Is that a good contract? Oh, right. The talent of a teacher is not how much you understand it, but the power of delivery. Mm -hmm. Are you able to deliver what you understand to a lower level than yourself? Okay, you could be a good, uh, you, you could be someone that's a scholar, okay? Thank you. You could, you could have a scholar <clears throat> that really understands, but can't explain it. Doesn't mean he doesn't understand, he understands it very well, but he just can't explain it. A teacher is someone that not only understands the concept, but is able to explain it. Now there's different types of teacher. I hope no one's taking pictures of this, because then you're going to start saying we're playing games in the middle of class. <laughs> so uh, you have a, a teacher that's able, let's see, you have a professor. Professor is able to teach some deep concept to, to, to good students that he has. You know, there's another professor that can't explain it. He knows it, he can't explain it. You have someone that could explain it to, to the students in, 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 in the university, but put him in a high school setting, and you say, let's see if you could explain it to the high school kids. He can't. I mean, these kids just don't understand. How do you explain it? But then you could have another professor that's extraordinary teacher that can go to the high school and explain it to the high school kids. That's an extraordinary feat. How could you do that? But he has such a talent in teaching, he could present such depth to even high school level students. Okay? But then put him to the elementary class. He'll be lost. I mean, well, what are you going to do to these kids? Okay? But then you could have even a better teacher, a deeper teacher, okay, more extraordinary, that's so talented he could even bring it down to elementary. Like, whoa, that, that's extraordinary. But put him to kindergarten, 
Okay? The guy's lost. I don't care how good of a teacher you are, but kindergarten, you're lost. But imagine you have this super extraordinary teacher, you put him in a kindergarten, and he could express the concepts to the kindergarten kids on their level, and they get it. In their level, of course. You know? But they get the concept. They get a certain chain of thinking. Then you would say, such a teacher? I never heard of such a teacher, but this must be really extraordinary. So again, on one hand, when you have a Rav and Talmud, the starting point is, a real Rav and Talmud, a real teacher, they're Ben Aloich. But that's your starting point. And Ben Aloich means the, teach, the student will never reach the depth of the, of the, of the teacher, because it's Ben Aloich. But that's before the teacher started teaching the student. If the teacher is talented, this is not your average teacher, a really talented teacher is able to take the depth which is which is infinitely higher than the student, and nonetheless deliver it to the student. That's an extraordinary teacher. So it's a two-step program when you think about this. Step number one is it's Okay, the depth is too deep for the student. He'll never get that. That's step one. That's how you start. But then when you have a teacher that's talented, there are certain teachers that can take this Be'in Alech concept and present it to the students. And, and, and an example of that was Rabbi Elkan. Rabbi Elkan was capable of taking these deep concepts which you would never be able to figure out on your own. And he was able to explain it to the students. There were other teachers that also understood it in a very deep way. They weren't able to explain it. Okay, so, so Be'in Aruch is your, could be your starting point, but could you break that Be'in Aruch? Well, so there are certain teachers that are capable of doing that. <coughs> now, even if you take the most capable teacher, you know, this genius, this teacher that could explain it to kindergarten kids somehow, okay, some way. Now, put this teacher... Uh, on, on, uh, on a test and say, okay, you're such a great teacher, you could explain it to anyone, not just the high school level, not just the college level, to elementary, to kindergarten, okay, now I'm putting you in front of a rock, piece of wood, now explain it to the piece of wood. Go ahead, go ahead, as much time as you want. Not gonna work. No, the wood will never, the wood will never understand the concept. Not even close. But I thought you were an extraordinary teacher. Yeah, that's, that's if someone has brains. Even small brains. Kindergarten brains, okay. But this, this wood has no brains, so as much as you'll talk to the woods, no, nothing's going to happen. Why? Because this is completely be'en aroich. You see, there's different levels of be'en aroich. You have this professor and kindergarten kids. You know, Bein Aleich. It could be Bein Aleich. But after saying the word Bein Aleich, there's different levels of Bein Aleich. There's different levels of distance. You can have Bein Aleich of, of a kindergarten kid to this genius. It's Bein Aleich. Let me just emphasize more what this means. You can have this genius that can't that even the university kids can't understand it because the concept is, is too deep, way too deep. So the regular teacher can't explain it. 
Even if you have a regular teacher, but explaining concepts to kindergarten kids, you'll probably fail. Because again, it's been alike. Now put these two together, a genius explaining a genius concept to the kindergarten kids. You know, it's pretty Bein Aleich, pretty distance, right? But ultimately, as much as Bein Aleich it is, but there is a certain Aleich, because you could always say, this guy has brains and this guy has brains. Yeah, they're very distant. This brain is a genius, a genius of a genius, and this is just an ordinary brain of a kindergarten child. But there's something in common this guy's brains and this guy's brains. This has more brains, much more brains. Infinitely, okay, but it's brains. But a piece of wood and logic of a person, that's Bein Aleich. Okay, different levels of Bein Aleich. Okay, you catching? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you want to say any different words, you would say that, uh, that the table, uh, the language of the table in fact, I could use such words. What the table understands is physical. The table is impressed by physicality. Like if I'll take this table and I'll move it, the table got impressed because, you know, I didn't ask the table permission. I decided to move it and the table had to comply. It got moved. You know, I had to listen. But if I'm going to focus on this table with my mind and I'm going to understand that this table needs to move and I'll try to convince the table you got to move, the table's not budging. Because he's not impressed by my thoughts. Then I'm going to get very passionate about it and my feelings. I really feel the table should move. I put all my passion into it. Nothing happens. Nothing moves. The table's not impressed by my understanding and my passions. That's not the language of the table. The table understands physical. Move it. Or take a match and burn it. Okay? You know, action. That's what the table understands. It doesn't understand thoughts and feelings. That's not the world of the table. No. But uh, I guess with that concept that specific, specific things require like specific uh, uh, ways to, for it to understand the, the teachings, the understanding, uh, it's also possible for someone to learn how to teach something to someone, right? Like l learn how to teach like a, a, a fit, uh, like uh, a like little kids or adults learn how to do it if they don't understand it at, at the time. Well, there are techniques, but not everyone is capable of doing it. Uh, okay. You can't always teach. To not, uh, not every person is capable of being a teacher, even if you give them the techniques. Mm -hmm. No. Okay, so when you measure Bein Aleich, there's different levels of Bein Aleich. But logic and a table and a rock, they're Bein Aleich, because they don't relate to each other. In the world of the rock, in the world of the wood, there's no logic. Logic doesn't, doesn't impress it. Like, 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 what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. What does table understand? Movement. You know, burn it. Do something to it. Take a hammer and bang it. You know, then the table gets impressed. Now, when you speak about nefesh and gulf, Soul and body, are they beruch or bein aleich? Huh? Bein aleich. Ruchnius and gashmius, spiritual and physical, are bein aleich. As a matter of fact, if you ask yourself the following question, which is a greater bein aleich? Which has a greater distance? Logic and wood or nefesh 
and Guf. Which is more distance? Which is more Bein Agoyich? You say Nefesh and Guf. Oh, Nefesh and Guf. Why Nefesh and Guf? They're completely different in concept, right? Okay. Ultimately, logic, logic, okay, it's a delicate question. Is logic physical or spiritual? Spiritual. Okay. Compared to the wood, it's spiritual. Compared to the wood, it's spiritual, right? But if logic is really spiritual, we would not understand logic because we're physical people. Logic is physical. Mm-hmm. The logic means that it's physical logic, right? Yeah, not the same physical as, as, a, as a rock, as a wood, that's true. But it's physical, but in a more subtle way, okay? But nefesh and guv are bein Nefesh is spiritual, real spiritual, but it's physical, there's, there's absolutely no relationship. So it it's meant to be impossible for the nefesh to give life to the gulf. How could something spiritual give life to a physical body? It doesn't make sense. It's like, how could a teacher influence and explain logic to a physical table? It doesn't work. You can't explain logic to a rock, right? The nefesh can't explain what life is to a gulf. It has no relationship to the gulf. How could you talk? They don't talk the same language. So how could the nefesh give life to the goof? It doesn't make sense. And that's what we thank Hashem when we say this blessing, this is your amazing wonder. Even though the nefesh and goof are they're distant, infinitely distant, yet Hashem miraculously merges the soul and the body, nefesh and goof, the nefesh gives life to the body. That's a miracle of Hashem. It's an amazing miracle. And, and it's a type of miracle we get used to. Like, we don't even realize it's a miracle. So we have to say this blessing to remind ourselves this is a miracle. The, the, when do you say Hashem Yatza? You go to the bathroom, you know, and then you say the blessing of Hashem Yatza. And you thank Hashem for, you know, keeping us healthy, allowing the system that Hashem made in the body should, should work out properly. Hashem heals all the flesh, okay? But then we say, you're thanking Hashem for the details. Don't forget to thank Hashem for the big picture. The details are, yes, you're eating and uh, Hashem makes, the, you know, it should work out, you should be healthy. That, that's, that's the details. But what about the big picture? The fact that you're alive. The fact that Hashem is doing, you're a living miracle. This is a living miracle. You know, the soul and the body merge. That, that, that's a living miracle. You know, life is a miracle. It's a miracle. That's what it is. So what's, so we, what's the necessity of the next bracha? You're saying life's a miracle. Is the next bracha that the Shaman's coming into the group? Oh, oh, okay, that's a good question. We'll have to get to the next blessing also. We'll have to get to that. Okay? But this is what this blessing is saying. Nefshin Guf, it's a miracle. And we have to think about that. We have to pause and think about this. You know, this is... If you're looking for miracles, this is it. Like, what else do you need? This is a miracle. The problem with this miracle is that it's constant. That's the problem. And whenever you see a miracle that's constant, you know what happens next? You do too much time. You you get used to it and you say, big deal. 
If a miracle happens once, if it's a big deal, you get all excited. But if it happens all the time, you get used to it. You get immune. So this bracha is being said every day to unimmune us. Don't get immune to this. Okay. Thank Hashem for this miracle. Okay, now, after recognizing the miracle of mafli lasses that Hashem merges soul and body, after acknowledging the miracle, we get to the next step. Miracles themselves have different formats. There are different types of miracles. Not all miracles are created equally. There are different types of miracles. There's a general breakup of the miracle. There's a general breakup of a miracle, which is, uh, what are the two types of miracles that, that you know of? Two types of miracles. Two types of nisim. Hidden and... Uh, what, what? Hidden and open. Hidden and open, okay. We didn't talk about Oh, 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 higher than nature, and miracles in clothed in nature, right? What's an example of a miracle in clothed in nature? Um, the splitting of the sea. Bonus of splitting of the sea. Was the splitting of sea a miracle above, above, above nature above, or within nature? Within nature. Huh? Well, kind of above. both. That, was, kind of that both. was above nature. Ah, but it was within as well, right? Uh, I don't know. It was above nature. What's an example of a miracle within nature? Give One a, of the festivals. Purim. Purim is a standard example where if you look at the miracle of Purim, could you pinpoint one miracle where you say, oh, this broke the nature? Could you say that? You know, the whole story of Purim, you know. But if you look at the big picture, you see the miracle of Hashem running the show. But that's a miracle enclosed in nature. The splitting of the sea was a miracle that was not enclosed in nature. That was above nature. You know, it broke the rules of nature. Okay, so these are two types of miracles. There's a miracle enclosed in nature, a miracle above nature. Now, as a rule, we have, we, have, we have rules of miracles. Just like Hashem made rules in nature, nature has certain rules which Hashem makes, there's rules in miracles. Well, uh, uh, there's a rule in nature that says, uh, what's an example of a rule of nature? If you uh, put uh, fire under water, it's going to boil. That's one of the rules of nature. Okay? You put, you know, on a, that's just one of the rules of nature, which, which is from Hashem. It's all rules from Hashem. Miracles also have their own set of rules. One of the most important rules of miracles is that Hashem does not perform a miracle unnecessarily. Have you heard of this rule? Hashem does not perform miracles unnecessarily. Because Hashem's, uh, if you could use the words, preference, first preference is nature. He wants this world to run according to the rules of nature. Miracles, when necessary. But if it's unnecessary, no. But let's continue with, with, with nature. Okay, so, so this is an example of a rule of a miracle, a rule of a ness. And there's other rules also of Nisim. 
So we're, we're finished. Finished already? We're finished, yeah. I forgot the schedule, okay? We came, we had to do a job, you're gonna have to ship next to the bomb. Okay. There's, there's also another class. They're also finished now. Everything's finished. So when is, oh, there's a break. 7.30, 7.30. I missed up the, yeah, I thought 8.30, because is that Shachas at 9.30? Shachas is? Shachas is 9. Oh, okay. I've been away for a very long time, okay? Okay. okay. We'll catch the next one. Okay. Okay, so even though there's a miracle of nefesh and guf, mafli lasai, it's an extraordinary miracle, but even miracles have systems, rules. And one of the rules of miracles besides the one I said Hashem doesn't perform miracles unnecessarily, there's another similar rule, like an extension of the first rule is that even when there is a miracle, they, they sometimes, they go through, through some type of system that it might make sense a little bit. And I'll explain more what I mean uh, next time. In other words, Hashem could do a miracle in a way where it's a miracle. Once, you know, it's already a miracle anyway. So just leave it. It shouldn't make sense at all. It's anyway a miracle. Or the other way is, it's a miracle. It's true. But if it could make sense in certain ways, let it make sense in certain ways. Okay, so, uh, so this is another rule of miracles. That miracles ordinarily even though they're going to be above nature, but in certain ways it's going to make sense, instead of making no sense at all. An example would be splitting of the sea. Splitting of the sea was clearly a miracle, but technically Hashem took a wind, then he made the wind blow, and then the sea split. Obviously it couldn't happen naturally. It was a miracle, but Hashem could have made the same miracle without, without a wind blowing. He doesn't need a wind to blow, but he chose to make some sense out of it. It doesn't take away from the miracle. You know, it's not a natural occurrence. It's clearly a miracle, but the miracle itself is 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 uh, is packaged in, in, in a certain things which you could relate to. You know, a miracle, a wind, a big wind. Okay, a big wind won't split the sea. You know, the sea was split in twelve different ways. It's not going to split it, but but it came packaged in some things that make sense to us. And what we're going to see Mitzvah Hashem uh, further, Mitzvah Hashem, is how the miracle of nefesh and guf, soul and body, even though it's a miracle, it's an extraordinary miracle, because it's bein aloich, but it comes packaged in a way that some parts of it could make sense to us. That we're going to discuss in Mitzvah Hashem next time. We'll stop here.